Welcome to the Bring It Home Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzara, and here we talk about your life, your story, your purpose. Hey, welcome to the Bring It Home Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzara. Can I just start with an apology? We've been like every other week here for a while, and that's not my intention. For like the first three and a half years of this podcast, it was a weekly podcast. And now because of a job change and taking in an executive director position and a move for my family, uh, it's just been hard. It's been hard, but here's what I'll say. Right now, we're not as regular as I want to be, but we're going to get back to every other week real soon. All right? That's my promise to you. Hey, if you want to keep track of what's going on, just go to mattkinzera.com. If you want to reach out to me, go to hello at mattkinzera.com. There's going to be some changes coming soon. There's going to be a website overhaul coming soon. So just keep your eyes and ears open for those things. You can find me on social media, but to be frank, I hate social media. So you can find me there, but I'm not very active. But I will respond to any messages that come in that space. Before we jump into this interview with Frank Rogers, I want to give you a little insight into like the inner workings of my brain. I am a super sensitive human. I really struggle when people struggle. I struggle when I watch hard movies about real life situations. I struggle when I read books about hard real life situations. Yet there's like I feel even though that's hard for me because of my sensitivity, I am also drawn to very difficult and difficult stories and especially when these stories end up having like a beautiful undertone to them so frank rogers is a man who i met through my publisher lake drive books and and frank just put out a book called cradled in the arms of compassion friends this book is uh it's a it's a beautiful read but it's a hard read and it's a story that needs to be told and i'm always um i hate when people live lives that are difficult and all of us do that on some level but you know what I mean but I'm never more inspired than when people who live difficult lives come out on top or come out um, of their difficult scenarios in ways that make this world a better place and Frank Rogers is one of those people so I'm so excited for you to hear this interview and get an opportunity to meet Frank his book again cradled in the arms of compassion it's out now so go wherever you find your books go out there and find this one because it's definitely a story that needs to be read it's definitely a story that needs to be told so please enjoy this interview with my new friend Frank Rogers Well, Frank, welcome to the Bring It Home podcast. Excited to be with you. I'm really excited because when we're recording this, it's been like two days since you've launched your new book. So I'm excited to talk about that. But I'm just excited to have this conversation after reading the book. You just seem like a guy that I, I want to talk to. So uh, so welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Matt. It is a delight to be here. And, uh, you know, David Moore speaks so highly of you. And I, I saw your podcast on Destructing the Myth. And yeah, you sound like someone I'd love to hang out with, too. So 
Well, we'll have, you know, uh, geographically, we're not that close, but I bet, you know, I bet over time, we'll probably find ourselves in the same general vicinity and we'll, we'll spend some time yeah. in person, but for now we'll just hang out online and call it good. So, uh, Frank Rogers is a fellow Lake drive books author. So part of the family here, which is lovely. And like I said, the book just came out, it's called cradled in the arms of compassion. Frank is a professor, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Frank, but you're the Professor of Spiritual Formation and Narrative Pedagogy, and that's at Claremont, correct? And you're also the co-founder and co-director of the Center for Engaged Compassion. Did I miss anything? Yeah, you you got it all right there. Yeah, we're at uh, Ecumenical and Interreligious School of Theology here in Southern California. Yeah. That, that sounds right up my alley. Well, why don't you just kick it off by giving us uh, what I always say is kind of like the 30,000 foot view of, of who you are. Um, most of the listeners, if not all the listeners other than David won't know who you are probably. <laughs> so just give them an introduction to, to who Frank Rogers Jr. is. Yeah. Well, you know, my day job, like you mentioned, is I'm a, a professor of, uh, of spiritual formation and narrative, which is really about storytelling and the use of storytelling in, in faith lives and spirituality. Um, I'm also a spiritual director. I uh, lead a lot of retreats. Um, I do a lot of supervision and train spiritual directors as well. Um, and um, and I'm a writer. And uh, so this is uh, my most personal and intimate book yet that it kind of tells the the story of my journey. So it's it's kind of my faith walk here. Yeah. Yeah. Share with us just a little bit, even even from a, a concept of um, what would make sense to to a listener. Now, I, I have I haven't told you any of this, but most of the listeners of this podcast are probably people like you and I who faith is is deeply important to them. But somewhere along the line, they had some some bumpy states, and and this podcast is kind of a, a safe space to you know, it's certainly a safe place to explore spirituality, but it's also just a safe place to explore our stories and what our stories can look like in context of our spirituality. So it's much less about theology and much more about story form. Um, but share maybe a little bit about where your earliest um, traditions find themselves. Yeah, so I'm I'm a cradle Catholic. I was I was raised in kind of that post-Vatican II Catholicism, where where uh, both the mystical dimensions of Henry Nouwen and Thomas Merton, and the social dimensions of the Berrigan brothers and Dorothy Day were really influential in me. Um, and uh, I was raised Catholic until my parents were divorced when I was 13, and uh, the priest told my mom that she was not welcome to receive Eucharist anymore. And uh, so this lifelong Catholic that she was uh, uh, left the church. And um, and so I did then. My father actually became um, a, a very conservative Christian. He had a conversion experience and started going to the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, and so I would I became involved in that church when I would visit my dad on weekends to the point where I actually went to college at Anderson College, um, uh, which is a Church of God faith based school, Protestant school. Ironically, while I was there, um, I actually reconnected with my Catholic roots um, and uh, and kind of got back into the church, but in a very kind of progressive spaces that were critical of kind of the institutionalization and the patriarchy that that was going on and um and and that is where i live my faith life it's kind of on the edges of, of uh catholic communities yeah there's so I, so I grew up catholic as well and there's something about catholicism that you can't quite pull yourself away from isn't there i don't know i don't know how to explain it but it just uh feels like we're always connected to some of those roots i know i uh, I, I grew up catholic I, I loved being catholic as a boy i loved being an altar boy and all those kinds of things and then 
I, I, when I got to college, um, you know, ended up trying out, uh, the, uh, more evangelical space and stayed there for nearly a couple decades. But then I always found myself kind of drawn back toward the liturgy of Catholicism. Um, would always, you know, Christmas would come and I'd always be looking for a midnight mass. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's still our tradition as well. Yeah. I took my kids once and they hated me for it, but short of that, (laughs) they still love me, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's my wife and me now that, that go to midnight mass as well. But it does, it gets into your bones. I mean, I, I think, you know, Catholicism is, is more of a culture too than, than just That's a you know, religion. I mean, it's, I mean, the foods and the, and the, and the holidays and, and all of that, it just, it just gets into your being in a, in a really profound way that, yeah, it never, it never entirely leaves. Yeah, that's so true. Now, um, one of the things about, your story and you, and and uh it's it's people like you in this way that what's the word you you inspire me but at the same time I'm I'm a little bit mystified by it um you've gone through and and feel sh- free to share as much or as little as you want but you've gone through a lot and when I say a lot I mean a lot of hardship and much of that is connected real close to your faith you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and faith traditions that you've been a part of, or, or religious constructs that you've been a part of yet here you are and it still is like really deeply important to you. And so maybe share briefly, or as I guess, as deeply as you want about some of those hardships that you went through and then also how you find, how, how did you, I guess the, the easy question is how did you not run away from it all? Yeah, well, I mean, the story of the book is is that I am a survivor of child sexual abuse, and and um, and found myself tormented by all of the ravages that such abuse brings to one: the, the inner demons of rage and self-loathing and shame and despair, and and uh, you know, found myself suicidal in and out of mental institutions, and and um, and and went on a spiritual quest. I mean, my and my quest was certainly for healing, certainly for psychological and emotional resources to to find some wholeness in my life, certainly to put together the pieces of my past. But it was also a decidedly spiritual journey, um, looking for, well, well, two things. One, for a, a credible understanding of God in the midst of it, because God was so central to me. And the God that I was taught um, actually created more havoc within me, this, this kind of uh, father God up in the sky who, who has the capacity to, to intervene and stop things at, at his will and um, and chooses to do sometimes and just doesn't intervene at other times. And for a child sexual abuse survivor, that prob- that God is very problematic. I mean, so where were you in the midst of my abuse? Why didn't you come in and intervene in the midst of that? Um, and yet we're I'm raised in a tradition that says God is sovereign and everywhere. And so so he's the one in charge. The problem's with you. I mean, you've got to get your act together and and uh be- before God's gonna be willing to to show yeah. his face. And, um, and just and to that, be clear, some of that sexual abuse, if not all of it, but a, a good chunk of that sexual abuse came within the context of the religion that you're a part of. Very much so. I mean, part of it was from a priest. Uh, it was a one occasion, but I was, yeah, I was uh, molested by a priest. Um, and then the rest came within my family of origin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was deeply Catholic. And, um, and, and so religiosity was just deeply woven into our family dynamics. And so it's hard to separate out the the abuse, the sexual abuse, and the trauma and the torture of all that, with the theology that you're just 
just breathing and eating. And so what what of that is restorable? What of that needs to be uh, thrown out because it, it just perpetuates the abuse? That was one of the deep agonizing struggles that I went through that the book really documents. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, it was it was enthralling. Like it just because I think a lot of people have that question. I mean, obviously, bad things are going to happen in this world and bad things will happen with religious people or people of faith. But then how do we maintain any sense of spirituality? Because, you know, for me, I, I haven't I didn't go through the same types of hardships that you have, but I've gone through some deep hardships within the context of spirituality. And I've tried probably like, you know, like 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 you certainly have as well to to run away from it but there's like we talked about catholicism i think that's spirituality in general there's something if it's if it's in you it's not going to go away and you can try to run away <laughs> all day long and and that may be a long process of running away but i i feel like if that's a piece of who you are you'll you'll come back home at some point yeah, yeah, and I guess I guess for me, a, a lot of it I did run away from. I mean, or you know, a lot of it had to die in me. A lot of my understandings of God, my understandings of Jesus, of of you know what happened in in the cross, um, where God is in our suffering. I mean, all of that had to go, and yeah. and and the institutions that supported it and perpetuated it. Uh, what what didn't die for me though was and, and and it came from my catholicism i mean there were there were moments in liturgies or moments in the church where where i just have this deep sense of this sacred presence that is that is nearby and just you know cradles us in love and compassion and and that is what i wanted i i needed to i went on as the spiritual search to find that sacred reality um that was you know in many ways in interconnected with the religion i grew up with but in many ways really different from and, and the old had to be you know it had to be killed it had to be shattered it had to you know that god had to die is kind of what i said my the old god had to die and uh, before a new god could could uh, emerge for me yeah and and i think you know another part of your story that comes out really clear in the book is this um you it, it feels as if you're trying to and and maybe you can say it a little better than i can but it feels like you're trying to deal with the reality of the spiritual experiences that you had even as a very young boy you had some really beautiful and intense and life-altering connections with the divine and then i mean i mean the the beginning of your book is i mean it'll anybody who picks up this book you read the beginning you'll read it all the way through because there's this moment where you have this beautiful spiritual connection with god in your in the church building in the sanctuary of the church that you're a part of at that time and then right afterwards you have this horrible abusive situation and kind of the 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 context of those two things being so close together really um sets the stage for the rest of the book of 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 listening to your story as it unfolds and and seeing you you know, not really even in my, in, in, as I was reading it, I didn't sense that you had too many doubts about the reality of spirituality, God, et cetera. And you can tell me if I'm wrong there, but you also were trying to understand how that can coincide with the hurt and the, the disgusting nature of the other things that you experienced in your life. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, just the, the, it, close intimate connection between the profound spiritual experience in the church and literally being snapped out of it by a priest who's getting ready to molest me i mean 
makes things extraordinarily complicated to say the least. I mean, like, like which one of these is really true? What, what is really real here in, in the midst of this? And, um, but I have to say, you know, I, I never, I, I never doubted the existence of that sacred reality. I mean, it's just like when, when you experience it that intimately, it's like, you just know that that is real. You just know it in your bones. Nobody can tell me otherwise. What I doubted was my capacity to connect with it, my capacity oh, to, to be close to, to that reality, or or was I just too shamed and and, uh, and too spoiled that 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 sacred reality is is inaccessible anymore? That that was my quest, is to how do you find it and reconnect with something I know is there, but I just can't get there. So let's speak, Frank, let's speak to that, because that's, yeah, it, oh my gosh, so, so incredible what you just said there. But let's speak to that reality that ha- anybody I've talked to personally that's been abused in any way shape or form shame comes up that word always comes up right and so speak to that um as a person that's gone through what you went through speak to the fact that so many people who've been abused somehow feel this sort of shame when they are they have done nothing that's in in the wrong because there may be somebody listening to this podcast that's in that place that they feel like they're holding on to something or they're not disclosing something or they're not dealing with something because they feel so much shame because of something that's been done to them. And in a spiritual context, that sometimes gets even magnified um, in, in so many different ways that we could go into. But Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, so every every abuse survivor I know, shame is at the heart of, mm-hmm. of the, the torment, right? And and it and it's and it's weird because you would think you know you did do nothing wrong right I mean uh, you know, this priest came to me I was I was what six years old right I didn't oh. do anything wrong but when you're a child I mean first of all I mean he's a priest right he he in my world he's next to God I mean he he he's God's best friend right and yeah, and, and so for those of you who didn't it weren't involved in Catholicism growing up or at any point it's important that you understand that the what we were taught growing up Catholic is. Basically, the priest is the direct connection to Absolutely. God. That, at least that's how I understood it, Frank. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so this priest is doing this, and so, and he's next to God. So there must be something okay with this, and it feels horrible to me. So it must be me that's the one that that is, is off here, or 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 it, it felt so bad. You know, it must have been me that that caused this to happen. And you know, my my that the priest who abused me. When it was over, he said, you know, shame on you. You know, you made me do this. You know, I didn't want to do this. You were the one that tempted me. And so I'm feeling, you know, that, that I was somehow responsible for it. I mean, that's what part of the shame. But the other part of the shame is the the abuse itself is sordid. I mean, it's it's ugly. It, it's disgusting. And that is in your bones. And so whoever was responsible or not, that I was violated in that way makes me feel like I am damaged goods. I, I There is something just just cellularly wrong with me um, that, that I, this has happened to me and I cannot let anybody know about it. I mean, I wouldn't tell anybody. You just got to keep this in the secrets that you just just try to live life as normal as you can and hide the shame as far away as you can. And and that gets stuck with your view of God then. So so how is this God who I'm trying to show me your face, God? You know, um, um, you know, help me help me feel your presence, and it's elusive. Well, there must be something wrong with me. I must be really so soiled that God is not even worth 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 getting willing to get His hands dirty to to come and touch me, and and that just creates this insidious cycle of of deeper and deeper shame and and um, and, and disconnection from the holy. I mean, that's. Uh, it can be paralyzing, despairing. Yeah, and and I don't want to give 
too much of the book away because everybody should buy this book. This is a really important piece of work that you've put out. That is, it's it's not a, a you know it's it's not a um, I don't want to say it's not an enjoyable read because I genuinely enjoyed reading it, but it is a difficult read. I would say it's because a hard of read. the because of your story has not been easy. Um, but I mean, in the very in this part that we're talking about in, in referencing to the spiritual experience and this abuse that you had. So you have this deep spiritual experience as a very, very young person that in within a very within really a matter of minutes from that happening, you have a priest that abuses you while that priest is abusing you. You speak very clearly about looking at some images i think whether it's images of jesus or mary i don't remember right at the top of my head but you're looking out and you're seeing even in where this is happening like you're trying to connect spiritually to what's going on as well which again just just uh magnifies everything that you're going through and again as a as a young child now anybody who's listening who's hearing frank's story who's saying like there shouldn't be any shame connected to that story if you're feeling any shame from your own abusive story listen to yourself as you feel for Frank, right? Listen to yourself as you understand that Frank shouldn't feel any shame and know that whether your shame had anything to do with spirituality, it it has the same effect. Like it shouldn't, that shame isn't on you. And that also goes into a little bit of a context of the, the way sexuality is taught within our culture as well. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that moment you described, it was kind of an eerie moment. I mean, I was being abused, but really what was happening was I was just dissociating. Right. You know, you, you know, and often that happens with abuse victims is you just kind of take yourself out of your body. And and, you know, so what's happening, you're not experiencing what's happening. And I did that by just focusing on objects across the room. And and one of them happened to be, you know, a crucifix, um, kind of the, the St. Francis of Assisi crucifix that has the eyes open. And, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at Jesus up on a cross, looking back at me. His eyes are open. It's like he's watching every second of this. You know, what's he thinking? I mean, is it, you know, is he, you know, is he just disgusted with this as I am? Is he disgusted with me? I mean, he can't do anything about it. He's just sitting there on this cross and he's staring down at me while this is happening to my body. To talk about, a you know, a spiritual experience. I mean, it was like a you know, profound, eerie moment. Yeah. So then getting past that, I mean, and and not to focus too much on, on that space because of the book explains a lot of other spaces in your story as well. You know, you've had, so you've had your own struggles and you had your struggle, um, obviously because of the abuse you endured, you had spaces where you were considering taking your own life and, you know, the, the drugstore scene is, is just, like it's it's daunting but also like so magical at the same time that it, it it there feels like there's this divine intervention there and then you also had other opportunities to deal with even your own family members in their struggles with some of their you know their own torment so explain maybe how some of your own experience helped you work with other people in their struggles uh, yeah, well, well, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, because part of you know, my, my journey was really about trying to find spiritual and psychological resources that genuinely brought healing and recovery. And, and, and I did, I mean, I'm not the person that I was, mm-hmm. um, but really the, 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 the impulse for writing this book is that my sister 
grew up in the same family. We were raped by the same man. And she was, you know, 49 when she all of a sudden became tormented by the same kind of nightmares and flashbacks and images of being violated by beastly figures. And, and she it was ended like up- that. And she, so just so I'm clear from written, this is an honest question. Like, so this just happened, like she started having this happen to her when she was later on in life, as you said, 49. She was 49. She it was, didn't yeah. happen previous to that. No, it was like a know. volcano erupted. I mean, That's she was a, crazy. She was a homemaker in, you know, rural Northern California and the Redwood countries and, you know, kind of Meg Ryan like, you know, just a yeah. simple. Yeah, you explained that really well. I love that. Yeah. Part. You know, I mean, I, I love mean, Meg Ryan, by the way. So, yeah, so do I. So do I. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> you know, just this beautiful, you know, spirit. And, and yeah, it was 49 where it just erupted inside of her. It just ate her like a volcanic eruption. And, you know, all the images and nightmares and, you know, hallucinations and self-destructive behavior. And she ended up in a hospital as well. And and she got to the point where she thought the whole world was violating her. No, She thought everybody was trying to violate her. And she was in the hospital and she, you know, the only person she trusted was me, you know, her big brother. And so she asked me, she wouldn't even talk to the doctors or her husband. And and uh, so I went up to see her and and in the midst of, you know, all this stuff, you know, what in the world's going on? And, you know, of course, this is going back to the abuse in our childhood that that she and I had never talked about together. And and um, but in the course of that, she said, hey, Frank, you were like this. I mean, you were in a, a hospital. You were self-destructive. You were you were you know, like, like demon possessed with rage. What did you do to get better? And, you know, she was in a hospital. She was not herself. She was just, you know, completely tormented. And all I could say was, you know, I got good help, Linda. And, you know, we're going to get you good help, too. And uh, and four weeks later, she took her life. And and so so I was not able to offer the resources and be a, a helping presence that I ached for. And and really, that was the- I don't know. That's good. I don't know that that's completely true, because obviously you have what you have and you know and and i you know i've been in similar situations where i could look back and say i wish i would have could have whatever because right. i've had people who have passed away in my life that i feel like i could have had a you know we i think probably a lot of people have those spaces but yeah i don't know i i won't go any farther i'll let you continue <laughs> I, on. I get it i mean but that's, right. that's what it feels like i mean that's kind of the hauntedness that comes in the in the midst of that um and uh, and so that that's really why I wrote the book was, you know, the book is what I wished I could have shared with Linda. And, and so it tells the whole story of of, uh, of of abuse and what that trauma is like and how recovery can happen. And so so out of that, you know, the practices that that were illuminating for me and transformative, um, uh, those practices are, are my life's work now. I mean, I teach compassion based practices of self restoration and and being able to heal from uh, the various wounds whether they're abuse or whatever whatever traumas that we all experience yeah so i, I maybe the maybe the grand question in this in in the context of your life story um cuz i just love i love this whole podcast is about hearing each other's stories and finding out where they intersect and how we can learn from one another um you know, for people who have gone through hardship in their spiritual journey and just in their personal journey, because I mean, here we are, you know, you have a, a, a really, it would like nobody would fault you for being an atheist. Nobody would fault you for have running, you know, for, for having run away from religion. But here you are, you know, as you said, like parts of it had to die, things about it had to die. You had to rethink about who the divine, who God is in your life. But it's your livelihood as well. It's not just like a part of what you do. It's, it's, every part of what you do so share a little bit about you know how you got from this place of you know 
disappointment, uh, hurt, um, trauma to this place now that you're using a lot of that for the goodness of teaching others and encouraging others in their space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I, I don't want to make it sound easy. I mean, you know, right, that it, right. it's, it's multi-layered. I mean, there's a whole number of things that that go into healing and recovery. And at the very end of my book, I kind of distilled, you know, like 10 different things, all of which conspired to help me in my own journey. And and um, um, so, so you know, I don't want to say, well, it's just one single thing to do right. it. But I, I will say that there was there was one uh, orientation that completely changed everything for me. And it had to do with the shame that we're talking about. I mean, I I loathed myself. I thought there was something just so wrong with me for all the rages that I would feel or my incapacity to, to be intimate with somebody because I was so traumatized by touch and, you know, all of these impulses within us, you know, I, I thought there was something bad about me because I had these feelings or had these impulses. And the, the fundamental change for me that was so liberating was instead of warring with all of my inner emotions and impulses, and instead of judging them or trying to, to, to manipulate them, this idea that every single one of our inner impulses and emotions, they're there for a reason. And they all are be begging for attention and for care. There is something that they are aching to be heard and to be met, which is why they are screaming so loud in the cacophony of our inner world. And so instead of judging ourselves or or, or trying to fix ourselves or suppress all these things or, as being sinful or whatever, what if we turned all towards all of them with a, co a compassionate curiosity and say, okay, well, let me, let me be with this rage inside of me. Let me be with the shame inside of me. Let be with the self-loathing within me. And that pivot, that turn to this compassionate curiosity where the inner impulses and voices within me could start being heard and being honored, that changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. That That is the pivot. I was never taught like that anywhere. And, and that's the essence of the compassion practices that we, we teach right now. Oh, that's so, that's so good, Frank. I, I had a, a similar, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, equate our stories too closely together or anything like that. But I had a similar experience where, cause I grew up in a, a very kind of uh, emotionally stunted existence, you know, mid I'm, so I'm Midwesterner and uh, you know, we didn't talk a lot about a lot about, about a lot of things. We didn't, we didn't like feelings were not encouraged. Right. And, uh, and so you just, you know, I, I found myself like when I was coming into my forties, I'm, I'm late forties now I'm 47, but coming into my forties, like, Oh my gosh, I have all this stuff that I've shoved down and never dealt with. And I'll never forget. And I don't even know where it came from or who introduced it to me, but really that idea of sitting with your hurt, sitting with your pain and a lot, instead of avoiding it, allowing yourself to feel it and kind of, uh, maybe make peace is the right word, but at least like work through, not work around it, but work through it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that practice, uh, it's probably altered my life more than just about anything else. That ability to, to give myself permission to feel the shame, to feel the guilt, to feel the anger, all of those things that I think I was taught not to feel or is taught to just kind of shove down. And I think what you're sharing is just this, this reality that we can, you know, we can be honest with our stories. We can be honest with ourselves. And if we allow ourselves to feel and mourn, and on the other side, if we allow ourselves to celebrate and yeah. feel joy, um, mm -hmm. it allows us kind of the, the, the totality of, of existence that we're put here to experience. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds very, very resonant with with my experience too. That that just kind of being with and that radical welcoming, that radical hospitality towards you know whatever is going on in our inner world. Um, and um, and and what I would also say is it's very resonant with contemplative traditions. You know, contemplative traditions invite us into that kind of grounded awareness. You know, what what could be called mindfulness. You know, or um, um, and or that that ability to to to, to feel the feelings, but yet also to not be overwhelmed by them. I mean, because for me, it would have been re-traumatizing for me just to go back and just feel the horror of being in that abuse. Right, situation. right, right, right. I would I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for a week. So so it's not it, it, that's not re-traumatizing ourselves by being flooded and overwhelmed by all the feelings, but being able to honor the feelings and recognize that they're there. But yet, from a from a grounded capacity to that, that like, like you would with a best friend, it's like, oh my gosh, I I feel empathy, I feel with you, but but I'm going to stand next to you and care for you and hold you and listen to you. Why are you feeling this this way? Intended to you, and that that grounded, you know, ability to do that is is also part of the life changing uh, direction for me. Yeah, no, I love that, and you know, uh, I I'm you know I'm a huge believer that all of us have such an important piece to play uh, on mm. within our humanity on this earth and that if we play those pieces that kind of were sent here to play or that were whatever i don't know i don't i still don't even know completely how to think about it but i think we all have a purpose here on earth i don't know how that works and i don't know that i even care i just believe that we have this ability to live out our lives in a way that matters to others and matters to ourselves and that matters to, and that that brings love and joy and peace and harmony within the context of this world I also have come to realize as I've gotten older that people, when they get to be, you know, when they start thinking about these things and, you know, uh, the, like that typical midlife crisis piece, right? Like, um, and that's for some people happens in their twenties and other people it happens in their forties, other people it happens in their eighties, right? So it's not truly a midlife crisis, but there's always, almost always something that creates a barrier, in your situation, that could have been the shame that you felt in other people's situations. It could be a million different things. Um, but in, in this specific, specific scenario, I think there's a lot of people and it doesn't have to be directly connected to your story, but I do feel like a lot of the reason that many people can't step into um, step, I, I hate using the word purpose, but it just makes sense kind of to the masses. Right. So I, I feel like the, the reason a lot of people struggle to to step into their purposes because they do have shame. They do have guilt over things. And yeah. so maybe speak to that person as far as, you know, how, how do you, how do you do what you've done, Frank, dealing with so much shame, so much guilt, yet still making such an impact in this world? Because there's other people that feel immobilized because they feel so much guilt and so much shame. And so they feel like, well, what, what right do I have to try to be anything of value to this world. Yeah, yeah, and it could be crippling and paralyzing. And so, you know, so I would say let's let's start by be, befriending the shame, right? I mean, that that shame, that shame comes from some part of us that has internalized false beliefs, false messages about their own worth um, that have come from, you know, the culture, come from our religious traditions, come from our experiences. Um, but that but that shame you know, as counterintuitive as it seems, that that shame is trying to serve a positive purpose. It, it's not wanting to ruin our lives. It's not, it's not wanting to, uh, you know, to destroy our life purpose. 
what it's really trying to do is it's trying to protect us from getting hurt anymore um because it's understanding its world is is you know if you allow yourself to, to be put out there you are going to be rejected you're going to be scorned you're going to be told how uh, back up just so so what you're saying and this is like revolutionary to me like i've never heard anybody share that you're saying shame is acts as a protector absolutely it, it is it, it's serving as a protector to keep us from being hurt anymore unfortunately the only strategy it's learned is that you know kind of self-lacerating talk you know hey you're nothing you're bad and, and you know so it, it's a bad strategy it's it's an unhelpful strategy but it means well it is trying to help us and that and that, because that like so many people like in a spiritual sense they 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 use like the token term like god will use all things for good or whatever and that that feels horrible for a person who's been abused for a poor person who's been oh, through a lot of trauma. Right? right. But the way you just described it is essentially, I think trying to, to capture the same heart of what most people who use that horrible token statement say. Um, but it makes way more sense. Yeah. Well, that, that, that shame, that shame is trying to help us. And so is there for a reason. So instead of, of just berating that or trying to force my way out of it, what if we could approach even our shame with some compassionate curiosity? It's like, okay, wow. So, so there's this part of me that is just carrying all of this shame. And you know, what what are you trying to do? I'm, I'm trying to protect you from from being hurt and scorned again, which opens up my own heart towards my own shame. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, you really do mean well for me, you know. And and you know, where did you learn that the world is so horrible? Well, you know, for me, it's like I took this in when I was you know six years old in that priest's study. You know, and and it's it's like there's still this six year old in me that has internalized this this sordidness, feeling this shame and this protective part of the shame is trying to keep me from experiencing that again. Well, what if I could, you know, kind of in my grounded space now, you know, be able to be with that six year old in me? I mean, my heart just breaks for that six-year-old, right? I mean, I just want to cradle that six-year-old in my arms. I want to take him out of the prison of that memory and, and bring him into a place that, that he is just surrounded by love. And, and, and that is a spiritual place too, because that compassion is deeply connected to the cosmic compassion, the sacred compassion that, that, that sustains this universe. And what if that six-year-old was able to be brought into the presence of that and washed clean then of the shame and the lies about themselves, then that protective part doesn't have to protect us in that way again. It can relax and 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 become a, a positive influence by, by being that voice of encouragement within us. Like I want to be your biggest cheerleader. I don't want to, I don't want to eclipse you from being able to shine in all of your glory. Yeah. And so it's in 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 essence, basically what you're saying is it's not as if God ordained all of that hurtful, horrible shit mm -hmm. that you went through it's more that okay that happened and on the other side of that it can be a great teacher and a great protector moving forward because there's there's this there is like a, a horrible spiritual spiritual teaching out there that says like god ordained our heart yeah. and that that we can oh. then use that to benefit us and others in the future and and again i'm not coming against the heart of what people are trying they're they're trying to make peace with the religion that they've experienced and the the true life experience that they experienced. So I'm not faulting somebody for thinking that way. I just think the way that you're kind of teaching us on this podcast is much more healthy and, um, and, you know, better for our, our mental, physical and emotional and spiritual health.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's trying to make sense of the world in the ways that they have available right. to them. You know, one of the things I'm bringing in this book is let's just reflect on this from the standpoint of an abuse survivor. And so if you have a theology that, that God ordains everything, well, whose purposes is that serving? Is that serving the survivor and helping them? Or is that really serving the interests of the perpetrator? I mean, that's a nice way to fight oh yeah. off the perpetrator's uh, actions, right? And so let's be critically uh, reflective uh, about that. Is is, But I would say it's not, it's what, what it is for me, it's more like what Jung called alchemy. It's like it's like the the manure in our lives that feels so ugly. I mean, the the rages and the and the lusts and the shames and all of that. Instead of suppressing it, instead of you know just trying to fix it, it can actually be transformed into something beautiful. I mean, it, it's there because it, it was trying to be something that got entirely polluted and out of whack, but that can be cleansed and transformed and morphed into something beautiful. It's it's like the dung, the, you know, the the manure of our lives can become a golden radiance. And, and it's, it's that kind of transformative process that this spirituality invites us into. Yeah. One of the things I've tried to be become good at um, is when things don't go my way or things don't go how I expected them to, I just ask the question, whether somebody's with me or not asking the question, well, well, what did I learn from that? You know, like where, what did that help me for in the future? Cause I didn't want it to go like that. I didn't think it should go like that but there's a lesson that can be learned be because it did. And that's not because it was supposed to, or because God somehow ordained it, but it happened. And so we have to deal with the reality of whatever that thing was happened. And then the, what I've discovered in my life is the most um, helpful question moving forward is, is not to feel horrible or beat myself up or wonder what my piece of it was, but more importantly, ask the, the question, okay, well, what did I just learn and and how can I carry that forward? Yeah, yeah, and accessing your capacities for resilience, and you know, is there is there a gift in here that that I can take with me from that? Um, and and I also just want to honor that there are times where you know, if we ask that question, we say, you know, screw you, you know, there's nothing <laughs> to learn from this, right? I mean, there is no way in hell that I want to try to learn from this this abusive incident. And what I'm inviting us into is this radical hospitality towards everything that happens inside of us so that oh gosh, rage and refusal well let's hold that with compassion yeah. too a beautiful thing too that's that's just saying no i'm, I'm not i'm not going to legitimate you know the abuse in this world and i want to make sure that that we're going to stand up and be protected yeah. we welcome everything with this radical hospitality this interior perspective on our lives yeah because if your experience is something like frank's and you had some horrific thing happen to you you can ask yourself what i learned from that and you can say well i learned that that person was a horrible human and did this horrible shit to me. And, you know, you can like, whatever, like what you learned exactly. is what you learned. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to justify anything in order to, to learn from it. You know, right. and that doesn't mean it was supposed to happen or anything like that. Well, Frank, thanks so much for being on the show. Everybody should jump out. And, you know, I know as we talk about hard topics like this, um, Maybe, maybe a few people listening are like, I don't know if I can handle that book, but I'm telling you, you can. And my guess is that, you know, my, my hope from my writing and from this podcast is that as I engage in my story and, and help other people share their own story, that, that those who are listening will be able to engage and share their own story. As you read Frank's book, even though there's pieces of it that are hard to read, my guess is that it's going to connect with your story in some way, shape, or form in a way that's going to help you get some healing and that's going to help you move forward and, and 
in in ways that maybe you never have been able to before. I know there's things that I learned from this book that just opened my eyes and and opened my mind to ways of thinking or a belief or just an inspiration that wasn't there before I picked it up. So thank you for writing it. And so the book is called Cradled in the Arms of Compassion. It's out now. Um, Frank, do you have a website? Uh, yeah, the Center for Engaged Compassion dot org. Yeah. Perfect. So we'll put that in the show notes. You can also go to lakedrivebooks.com and find it there as well. And I'm sure it's anywhere where you can find the best books available. So Frank Rogers, thanks so much for taking the time. Best of luck. I'm sure we'll be in touch next time I'm out in your area. We'll, uh, we'll grab some coffee or a glass of wine or whatever works for you. And, uh, I'm telling you, like having this conversation, genuinely makes me want to just sit in a room with you for a weekend and just like work through life <laughs> you know? uh, so, that'd, be a blast. that'd be a blast matt i would look forward to that so yeah uh, like, when you're around let's do it all right thanks so yeah. much appreciate you inviting me I, I mean i really i really appreciate that and you at lake drive books are amazingly hospitable and willing to tell hard stories that are often uh, not told because of the shame associated with them and so being able to bring these out into the public where where we can talk about this stuff that's transformative itself so thank you for being part of that my pleasure Special thanks to Frank Rogers for joining the show today. To learn more about Frank and what he's up to, go to centerforengagedcompassion.com. That will be linked in the show notes. Also, make sure you go out there and get a copy of Frank's new book, Cradled in the Arms of Compassion. You can find it wherever you find your favorite books. And again, that's published by everybody's favorite publisher, Lake Drive Books. Until next time, have a great and blessed day.